Hi there. My name is Dr. Pragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, and I want to be your guide into the world of nursing professions. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journeys as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our career journeys. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will showcase career options to encourage nurses to view their degrees with a business mindset. After all, we work in the healthcare business. And ultimately, I hope I might inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast, and let's get started with today's guest. On today's episode, I am chatting with Dr. Ellen Luletta and Lacey Lynch. Both are CRNAs and the host of the podcast, Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Their podcast is a podcast for moms who are balancing motherhood, careers, finances, relationships, and social life. Check them out on Apple Podcast. We chatted on episode 46 about all things nursing, and it was a blast. Enjoy the chat for today. Hi, thank you for coming on to the Dr. Nurse Podcast, Lacey and Ellen. I'm so happy to have you on today. Oh, thanks for having us. We're super excited to be on your Thank you so much for having us. Yes. So let's dive right in. If you guys or both of you guys could just describe what you do for a living, your current job titles and roles, if you guys specialize in a certain area, just really dive into what you do. Okay, Ellen, take away. All right. So I'm Ellen. I, like you said, I'm a nurse anesthetist. My experience has been in almost every single specialty, except I'm not a fan of pediatrics, mainly because my little heart can't take it. I have been specialized before in trauma. I've done hearts. I've done everything surgical, all populations. And right now, my biggest role, I'm on maternity leave. So I'm a mommy right now, first and (laughs) foremost. I just had my third. And actually, in the past year, I have have branched out into medical aesthetics. So I am an injector now too, which I absolutely love. It totally allows me to use my clinical skills, my critical thinking, really like function at the highest level and just a little less risk and liability and death. And Lacey? So I am obviously a nurse anesthetist. The practice that I'm in now is in a health system at a smaller site outside of the big trauma center. So we have the ideal practice. So we do a variety of ages from like under one to 101. And we don't do hearts. Thankfully, I really don't like hearts, but we do some big, like exciting cranies and some trauma, although we do ship a lot of it, which is also great. But we just have like a really wide range of cases. And so we do a lot of what people call bread and butter stuff. We do a lot of ortho and GYN and surgery and general surgery. But I just really like the diversity of the cases that I'm able to do. I could do neurosurgery one day and I can do PEDS ENT the next day and I can do dental one day and I can do C-sections one day. And and I just really love like that diversity of being in a smaller practice where I can kind of pick and choose instead of feeling like I need to specialize straight up front where it's like I'm a neurosurgery CRNA or I'm a cardiac CRNA. Yeah. I am just a nurse anesthetist and I get to do a whole 
whole lot of different things. And I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. So the role of the CRNA for those that are listening that are like, whoa, she's finally got a CRNA on. Like, how do they like figure this out? What do they do? What exactly do like describe how your structure works for your job? So you guys put people to sleep. We all know that. But how does your structure work with your supervising attending? I think really it depends on where you work and what state you work in. Some people don't have supervising attending. Some states we are completely opt-out states, which means that we function completely independently. Other states are supervising. Some states are direct. It really depends. And then it really also depends on the practice you're in and what your role Mm -hmm. is, what your scope of practice is in your state. If you are recognized as an advanced practice nurse or you're not, license you function under. There's really a lot of differences. I'm in New Jersey and we are recognized as advanced practice nurses here. We function under that license, not the RN license. So we're able to see our own patients, do our own H&Ps, everything the nurse practitioner can do. In our roles, it really depends on if you are in the hospital during normal hours versus on-call hours. Like if a trauma comes in, we can do completely everything independently. Same for any emergency. And then during normal functional hours, technically we need physician signature on charts for Medicaid billing. But in terms of Uh. features, where I worked, we did everything ourselves. We did all central lines, arterial lines, all regional anesthesia, all general anesthesia, local anesthesia, everything. So it really just depends on your practice, your state, and your relationship that you have with your coworkers and kind of your skill level, I would say. How about you, Lacey? That's so BA. There is such a wide variety of ways you can practice as a CRNA. You can work as a completely independent CRNA in more rural areas, but there's like solo nurse anesthetists where like you are the only person who knows how to give anesthesia in a 30 mile radius. Or you can work in a CRNA practice where it's like only nurse anesthetist, there is no anesthesiologist, and it's just you and your CRNA colleagues. And then there's like a practice like mine, which is like kind of the next level up from that, which is like we have supervising anesthesiologists. They tend to be very hands-off. So you see them at the beginning for induction. You do your case. You might text them back and forth saying I've got a problem or whatever. And then you may or may not see them at the end. So you are very autonomous. You are the one in there giving anesthesia and it's great. And then you can go all the way up to a like big academic center where you're working with SRNAs and anesthesiologist residents and anesthesiologists. And you kind of have like a much bigger, there's all of a sudden four people instead of two people in your anesthesia team. So you can go from one person in your anesthesia team to four people in your anesthesia team. And so that's, there's a, a wide diversity in anesthesia. My practice is, I really love it because we work in a collaborative environment with our anesthesiologist partners. We work together to give anesthesia care to our patients. I'm the one in the room who's giving the anesthesia. We talk about our plan. We do have a respectful environment. And so we talk back and forth about what we're going to do for our plan. We initiate our plan and everything is hunky-dory. And so I hope that answers your question. (laughs) No, it does. It answers it perfectly. And that's the similar relate that I have with the surgeons, right? So like I'm not a surgeon, but I do procedures where I actually burn bladder tumors out of bladders. And so some 
sometimes I get into a situation where I'm like, this is above my pay grade. And so you have those moments where an attending will walk in the room and you're just, all right, we got to come up with a plan. Things are not what they seemed. And so it's actually kind of that same relationship. I, I really like that in my job as well. As you were describing it, I was connecting to that. So, so how did you both get to choose CRNA as your career? Like, what was your specific journey from nursing school to your time working as RNs to then going, it's, it's time to go back and be a CRNA or get my doctorate or whatever that process was and that journey was for each one of you? So I knew that I wanted to be a CRNA from the time that I was a sophomore in high school because I was volunteering at a hospital because originally I wanted to go to medical school because I didn't know the power of nursing. And I happened to be on the labor and delivery floor and they were like, hey, do you want to go shadow this nurse anesthetist? And I was nurse what? And so I shadowed (laughs) and immediately fell in love. I had no idea, like I said, of the power of nursing. I had no idea that nurses do anything other than bedside nursing. I had no idea of all the skills that you can have outside of bedside nursing. And I was completely intrigued. I am a research junkie. And even at that age, I just like went and just looked it up and just couldn't get enough. So I knew going into college, that's what I wanted. And I went to the University of Pittsburgh, got my nursing degree. And I, for me, there was there was no stopping. I was from the frame of mind where like, why would I spend time on a med search floor if I knew that I didn't belong on the med search floor just to get to the ICU I wanted to be? I was like, screw this, I'm going to apply to a nurse residency that encourages and trains nurses in the ICU right off the bat. So I did that. I started at Georgetown Hospital. I paid my dues and my next stop was anesthesia school. So I just followed the little algorithmic pathway of becoming a CRNA and did that. And after that, my world opened up. It was like, you could be a CRNA and do a million different things. And then you can also be a CRNA and go get your doctorate, which I did because I wanted to teach. I wanted to have the opportunity in the future to sit on the boards or do research or make decisions or go in any path I wanted in nursing. And I didn't want to ever be stopped by someone telling me that I didn't have a credential. So I just went and got all the credentials I could. And then I injecting faces with Botox. So that's where I'm at now. That's what's so great about nursing is you can make it what you want it to be. And it's just it's so you can just tailor make it you can literally like I feel like doctors have to like order off the menu and with nurses like you can go a la carte. Like, what do you want? It's just so clutch. And what about you, Lacey? I kind of alluded to this in our previous conversation on our podcast that we just recorded. But I remember I very distinctly remember being a kindergartner taking a tour of our hospital and they were giving out hats. So we were, so it was like we were lined up and my last name started with S. So I was like towards the end and all the boys wanted the doctor hat and all the girls wanted the nurse hat. And by the time they got back towards me, they were like, you girls can be doctors too. And I was like, no, I want the nurse hat. Like, I was like, no, no, give me the nurse hat. And I was like, I want to be a nurse. And then, like, obviously, I went through phases of, like, watching the Olympics and deciding I want to be Christy Yamaguchi instead. But I... <laughs> we all had that phase. We all had that <laughs> But I, I came back to, like, when I was in eighth grade, I picked the nursing college I wanted to go. I said, I'm going to go to this university. I'm going to become a nurse. And I'm going to be a nurse. And... That's what I did. And I went to that nursing school and I graduated in four years and it was great. And then I got to the floor and I was like, okay, I have arrived. Like I am here. This is what I spent my whole life to get here to. And I was like, oh, is this what I spent my whole life to get here to? Because I really wanted to be a cardiology nurse practitioner. I loved cardiac in nursing school. And I was like, I want to be a cardiology nurse practitioner. That's what I'm going to be. And then I got there and I worked on a cardiac floor and I was like, oh, this is like, and I think it was just the 
group of the group of cardiology <laughs> nurse practitioners that I worked with, but I was like, these people are mean. They're mean, yeah. and I don't want to be that. And so then yeah. I was like, well, maybe I picked wrong. Maybe I should be a doctor instead. Maybe I should have picked the doctor hat back in kindergarten on that tour. And so I actually started <laughs> taking my pre med classes. I took the MCAT. Oh wow! And I like did it, and I went to like meet with the curriculum person. Wow, at this medical, is not- and I met with the this curriculum person at the nurse at the medical school that was in the town that I was working in and yeah. he looked at me and by then I had gotten my way I'd found my way to the ICU and he looked at me and he was like you're an ICU nurse and I was like yes and he's like why don't you become a nurse anesthetist and I was like excuse me I'm here to talk about <laughs> medical school and he's like no 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 my wife is a nurse anesthetist I'm watching where things are headed and you really really need to look at this because this is going to be like the way the future of healthcare is going and the amount of time it's going to take you to get to this same place. Like you need to really look at this. And that's when I was like, okay. And, and I think like when Ellen said something about like the power of nursing earlier, I actually wrote down when she said that, that I didn't believe in the power of nursing when I was pursuing medicine because I was like, well, I need to be a doctor in order to do the things that I want to do. And that really wasn't true. I just didn't believe in the power of nursing and what we really could do. And so then, long story short, I have a friend who's a nurse anesthetist, and she is like mentored me. She was my neighbor growing up, and she has always been like a few years ahead of me. So she's always kind of been mm. like the carrot that's like you could do this. Yeah. And yeah. so, so her name is Karen, and she's amazing. But she talked to me about it, and I was like, because I was ready to apply to medical school, and the guy was, don't do that. That's I cool. really enjoy the patient patient community like the patient interaction in the ICU and like the interaction with families and so it was a surprise for people to see me go into anesthesia rather than be an NP because I really thrived in that interaction but I think that it's one of the areas that I thrive in in anesthesia we see people in like their most vulnerable and in in their worst sometimes Mm -hmm. and they're scared and they're going through a very traumatic event whether it be they lost a baby and now they're having a DNC to a trauma to just like they have cancer and they're having their cancer cut out of their body and to be able to like formulate those like connections with patients the two or three minutes that we have with them is something that I really enjoy in my career and so I'm really happy that I kind of took a I didn't really take a cutest route like I was a nurse then I became a nurse anesthetist but like my emotional journey to get to this point was a bit circuitous and and I'm really grateful for that I like how you describe that who was the guy that told you to consider nursing he was so he was like the PhD curriculum person of the school in the town that I was working as a nurse in. Yeah, we need we need to have a drink in honor of that man right now. Cause where is can we like call him? I don't know. I've actually thought about like looking up that person and seeing like I'm sure he's retired and he's gonna be like, I met with like hundreds of thousands of like wannabe doctors. Yeah. Like, why would I remember this? But but it was like a profound conversation because it's somebody who like stopped and was like, wait a minute. Like you are an ICU nurse with years of experience. Why don't you become a nurse anesthetist? He's like, I see where medicine is going. I see where payers are going and where payments are going to be coming from. And and you really need to stop and think about what you're trying to accomplish with it. And and when that's when I really I think I started to believe in the power of nursing where I didn't Mm -hmm. before. Yeah, that's really profound. So I love both of those journeys. Those are just so neat. 
and so individual and really special to hear. Thank you for sharing them. Could you guys give an example of one of your biggest successes in your career that you felt like was a real big win? Like this was a real high in my career. Oh, Lacey, you go first. I don't know. I'm trying to think of it. And I, I don't know that I can give you a like career high example, but I had a situation today where a patient asked for a specific type of anesthesia and the surgeon said, no, I'm going to need a Mac. And the so that it's like where we do sedation, it's not fully asleep, you don't put a breathing tube in. And then the surgeon said, no, I need a general. Has to be a general because the way we're going to position this patient. And then the anesthesiologist went to the patient and told them we're going to have to do a general. And the patient like had questions, but then the anesthesiologist came back and talked to me and was like, well, the patient like, didn't love that, but but I think I answered the patient like, questions. So I set up for a general and I go to get this patient. And by the time I got there, the patient yeah. thought of like a million other questions. And because of this patient's conditions and his specific needs and stuff like that, he had all of these concerns about why we're going to be doing a general. And so I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to give you your sedation. Because normally I would give a little versed before heading back to the OR, take the edge off things. I call it the happy, I don't care anymore medicine. I was like, I'm not going to give you this medicine. We're going to go back. I called the surgeon and I called the PA and I said, this patient has some questions. Let's talk in the OR. I get back to the OR and I'm like, this, these are these patients concerns. And this is why he's okay with this. Can we try this instead? And the patient was able to articulate it to the surgeon and the surgeon listened and we're like, okay, yep, we can position this way instead. So then we can do Mac instead. And just like to really advocate for that patient and stop and say yeah. no we're like let's not rush through and just slam in the tube and do all the things but like this patient had very specific concerns that were completely legit and so we yeah. were able to really tailor the patient's care to what that patient needed and so like yeah. that is just a win like I love those moments so it may not be it's not like a career high like like I graduated anesthesia school that was a beautiful moment yeah. but like to yeah. have these moments throughout my career just give me like hope on the bad days when you're like, oh my God, this sucks. What you're describing is why nurses need to be in the rooms making decisions. It's why nursing, believing in the power of nursing, that's it right there. Advocating for your patient because in those moments, isn't that what you want is for the people around you to be listening to you. You're not just a body they're going to put to sleep like you're a person. And so I just feel like nurses do a really good job at making people people. And making them feel like people and letting them know we see you. Um, and like to be seen is just, ah, oh, it's everything. What were you going to say? The, one of the hallmark of nursing or something is that a nurse can look at a patient who's sound asleep and know if they're comfortable or not. Whereas like <laughs> everyone else like just looks at the patient. But you can look at a patient yeah. and you can say like they're going to be uncomfortable. Or they you can notice yeah. those tiny little things that other people just don't even see. You get that in your time in the trenches. Mm -hmm. Going back to our earlier conversation in, on your podcast. I think you learn that. You learn to read people and to understand. I learned that all my time as a, as a med surge nurse. It was just you, you start to understand and see people in a way that you didn't outside of yourself. The empathy begins to grow in the trenches, I think. You, I don't know, at least, from, at least for me. I can only speak for myself that it, it really did grow a lot. And just hearing you describe that is so cool. I would agree. That's, that's a high. 
definitely a high. What about you? So, yeah, I've given it some thought while Lacey was talking. That was a killer. You should have gone first. (laughs) I will tell you this, that I'm not going to say a high of my career because I'm not done yet. And I'm not even being done. Like, I feel like we keep evolving. We keep, like, who thought that I would have been here even two years ago when I graduated with my DNP? So my highs of my career come at every stage. Like, my high, like Lacey said, was graduating, getting your first job, and, like, saving your first trauma. And then your high is when you get your DNP and then landing a teaching job or whatever and then training and doing aesthetics but my highs daily are in anesthesia it's getting that patient's trust in Mm -hmm. in three to five minutes of meeting them when they are terrified and they have to trust us and people think oh you put people to sleep but really we wake people up that's what we do putting somebody to sleep you could teach a monkey maintenance in the middle it is the wake up it is an art waking somebody up making sure they're safe they're comfortable they're pain-free like we we do it so much that people take it for granted they're like oh whatever they'll just them up but it is so individualized and that's why people say anesthesia is like flying an airplane the takeoff is putting people to sleep the landing is emergence and you know, those are the most critical aspects that people, they just breeze over it because it's just what we do. But there's just such an art to it. And and I take it so personally every time somebody trusts me and I take the highest honor to take care of them during those moments that every day that goes by, I feel like is a high when somebody tells me that. And even in aesthetics, any day that goes by and someone says, no one has ever taken the time to educate me. And people are like, oh, haha, Botox fillers because it's so... It's It's vanity, but it's still a level of trust that somebody needs to have in you because so many experiences that people come to me with are like, oh, they just put me in a chair and just stabbed me in the face with needles and told me that's what I need. Or they pick my face apart, make me feel like crap just to make me, you know, have these procedures done. And like, (laughs) it's so awful to me to think that because it's still a person. And I I treat my aesthetics job the same way I treat my anesthesia job as my, my job first and foremost is to have this person trust me and believe me and allow me the honor of treating them. And I get there by educating them. And sometimes the education people are like, oh, well, I don't know. That's not what I came here for. And and I release them. I'm like, that's totally fine, but I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to sacrifice what I know to be right and what I know to be ethical to give you a quick fix or to do something other people have done to you. Because at the end of the day, my job is to take care of a patient ethically and to my best of my ability. I think that a lot of the trends are taking away from the merit of that Mm -hmm. and allowing people to do at home procedures or filler parties or that like lip filler pen and stuff like that, that really diminish the art that is of medical aesthetics, just like there's an art to anesthesia. We, we don't put people to sleep at home. I really want to highlight what you said about like the finesse of emergence because like it made me think of, you ever watch the Winter yeah. Olympics and you watch curling and there's these people throwing a stone and like they do the broom to like get the stone exactly where they want to get. And it looks so freaking yeah. easy. You're mm-hmm. like, how is yeah. this an Olympic sport? And then you try it and you like fall flat on your face on the ice and you're like, oh my God, I can't even stand up out here. How yeah. do these people do this? But it's like, yeah. that is like the finesse of emergence. That's really where the art and science of nursing come together is in that moment of like emergence. And you're trying to like, like bring someone out and like, it looks really easy because we do it so often. And, and you're trying to do it quick because right time is money and turnovers and all of that. And so you're trying to like get someone like from one state of mind to another state of mind really quickly to get them to the recovery room. And it looks super fast and it's easy and all of that. But like, that's really where the finesse comes in. 
and that's where I think anesthetists, that's where like you really show off your skills. What do you think, Alan? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think when a patient wakes up and they say, wow, I'm done already, or I didn't feel Uh any, remember anything, that (laughs) is like, I mean, music to my ears. Nobody wants to wake up and hear anything bad. And we take it for granted. People around us take it for granted. They don't know exactly what we do and that's okay. But I think that that to me is the high of my career every single day of my career. That's good. As you were describing that as well, I got tears in my eyes. I was like, that's what the CRNA is thinking. It just sets me at ease. And and what you were saying, Lacey, about the whole Olympics thing, I saw this meme today on Instagram that was like, so for the Olympics, what we need on the side of the competitors, like competing in the Olympics is an average person doing what they're doing. So <laughs> can you use it as like reference? I think back to the days when we first started and they were like, okay, now wake this patient up. And I'm like, what? Like, what on earth do I do first? Every time that I, we put a patient to sleep and wake them up, like it's, I just always say like, I take it such, it's such a big reverence. On, yeah. yeah. I don't just like poo poo it. I take it such a high honor to do that. And so it's just like when you're landing on an airplane, there's like the pilots that you touch down, you barely feel the wheels touch the ground. Yeah. Pilots that like slam you down and you're like, oh, praise God, we're still, oh, anesthesia is for me. Yeah. That's yeah. described beautifully. So what were some challenges that you guys had to overcome in your careers? And this could just be anything from like a nurse bully to a really hard class in school, just anything that you just look back and you're like, that was a mountain I had to climb. And I did. Lacey, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. So, I mean, well, obviously like the person who told me that I shouldn't be a doctor would be like, <laughs> like overcoming moment of my career, but a good moment. But my time in the ICU, I worked in what was known quietly throughout the whole hospital as the meanest unit in the hospital. And so it was just like the undertone is those people in ICU. Oh, those people. And then those people all went on to become nurse anesthetists. So then it was those SICU anesthesia people. So I worked in like a very cutthroat and I had to overcome a lot and really learn how to have Teflon skin and just let it go. And that was really helpful to gain that skill then because in anesthesia, I'm able to not be afraid to have the conversation that I did today with that surgeon. And and we had a very respectful conversation about our patient care and everybody was on board and on the same page and everybody participated. But it was like to even be able to bring that up is like I got that ability from my time spent in the meanest unit in the hospital. There you go. I love that. Love it. What about you, Ellen? I think that it was finding my voice because as females, we're always kind of, and I hate to play that card like as females, but really we are people pleasers by nature and Mm -hmm. we don't want to cause a ruckus or Mm -hmm. make people hate us or be mad at us. And sometimes standing up for yourself or speaking up is taken in like a very offensive manner. And, but at the same time, we're encouraged to speak up and stand up for ourselves or our patients. So it was really difficult to find my voice. And that was the biggest challenge for me because it's also, a way to command respect but in a way that is non-threatening and so luckily I've been put in this position because it allowed me to gain that skill there was a time when some there was a physician who kind of demeaned me in front of a patient Mm. and my skill level or my importance in the operating room and this was somebody who I was working alongside of we were peers and so for Mm. me I had to speak up in that moment because I knew that 
it was important for the patient because they need to understand moving forward that they need to respect their nurse anesthetist and their nurse in general. And they will not if they see that we don't respect ourselves. So that for me was the biggest challenge of my career so far because it took such guts for me to just say, you can't talk to me like that. And especially not in front of a patient, because if you talk to me like that, how is the patient going to trust me? Right? Because you basically just demeaned me. Skill level and just everything, my education. And so that was the biggest challenge for me. And then also afterwards, sitting down with that person and having like a complete conversation about here's what you did. Here's why it was awful. And here's why it will never happen again. And it was very unlike me at the time. And I was a very young nurse anesthetist. So it's kind of like your age is playing against you too. Because everyone's always like, oh, why don't you just graduate? But commanding respect is really difficult in an operating room, especially when you are a young female, typically kind of soft spoken. Mm. And it, it required me to make a scene. And I'm okay with it. I'm really happy it happened that day. Because from that moment on, that person and nobody did that to me ever again. Yeah, it sets a precedence and then it sets a tone, yeah. right? Like yes. you're just, that's not okay. And you teach people how to treat you, right? Exactly. So yeah. in that very moment. What, is, yeah. what do they say? You get treated how you tolerate it because you tolerate how you're treated. Mm. And that yeah. is so true. Yeah, it's very true. I think that's a good lesson to learn. And it's definitely for our listeners and nurses that are starting off in their careers, there's going to be that moment. And so think back to what Ellen is is saying in her experience and just know that like in those moments you if you tolerate it they'll they'll keep dishing it out so you got to call it out and it's going to be awkward for a little bit but you'll be stronger on the other side because of it so that's what we learn about our challenges and everyone every single time I've asked a nurse about that I see that every challenge is actually some really cool blessing and uh, you think in the moment this is the worst thing but in the end you look back and you're like that actually was great so what about I think both of you kind of described some mentors but maybe just briefly if you want to give a shout out to anyone that you felt like really helped you in your career I know Lacey had described the CR that was a little bit ahead of her and would always dangle the carrot. But I don't know if Ellen wanted to share anyone or Lacey, you had anyone else you wanted to share or anyone that gave you advice along the way. Lacey, anyone you want to shout out? I will give a shout out to Karen Nace at the Mayo Clinic. That's that's my Karen. And she was my neighbor growing up and she was starting nursing school when I was starting high school and she was working as a nurse when I was graduating. And then she was in anesthesia school as I was trying to figure out my life. And then she really, like the day I got excited accepted to anesthesia school, I called her and she sent me flowers. And it was just like the sweetest thing. She's she's just has been just a really great mentor. So the whole Karen thing. Like I know I feel bad because like her like her name is now like synonymous with like a bad thing. And I was like, she didn't pick her name. She's not a Karen. He's like the OG Karen. Yeah. I I think I've had a lot of mentors. I someone told me a long time ago it's really important to have somebody alongside of you who's in the same state as you someone about three to five years ahead of you and someone three to five years behind you and so I've tried to always kind of keep that rule I've had a lot of mentors I can say first job as a nurse anesthetist my friend Carol Lent and she's still such a integral part of my schooling and my experience as a nurse and just as a as a female I should say lieutenant Carol 
blunt. She's just such a strong woman and she's a mom. She was a lieutenant in the military. She was deployed with young kids. I mean, she's done everything in anesthesia. She's always shows up with a smile on her face, has the greatest work ethic I've ever seen in a human being. And she's so highly respected, but always has a smile on her face and like sun shines out of her butt. Amazing. <laughs> so as a CRNA, she was my mentor. I, I have to shout out the amazing CRNA who trained me. Her name's Kelly Hermans. She just gives so much back to the community of CRNAs who want to advance their practice. And although I follow other injectors throughout the nation who have been doing this for a very long time, and I learned so much from them, she just really stands up for our profession and what's right and what is allowed for us to yearn for and that it's okay to want more. And I think that's so important. So shout out to Kelly Hermans as well. I think women in nursing, especially with mentorship and coming alongside and giving back to the ones behind us and for the ones that are in front of us to look back and say like, hey, listen, I got you. Like, let me show you some of the things that I learned sooner. Like that is also another heart of the Dr. Nurse podcast to just share where we've been, what we've gone through. And I believe that like in these little moments, you get little morsels and it's like, yeah, it'd be great like to have like one-on-one mentoring, but it is just nice to hear someone share their journey and hear how they got to where they are and what they're doing with their careers. So yes, very cool. What, what were we going to say? We have, one, we have one more person that we need to shout out in our community, Tanya Bales. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Go to her. I know. And I mean, there's so many people. So we have a nurse anesthetist moms community. That's kind of where our podcast was born. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. woman is a nurse anesthetist who survived a dirty job because that was her first husband. The LA Times did a big podcast on Dirty John, who was like a psychopath who was very manipulative and kind of just left this like trail of destruction, which ended up leading up to his murder. Spoiler alert, if you didn't see it. It's been out for years, so we won't tell you who killed him. That's the surprise. (laughs) But she survived this, I think it was like 10-year marriage with a sociopath. And she advocates so much. She just released, I think it's on Audible, the it's called like the first wife or something. So it's like her story as the first wife. Because the the really dirty Johns and they made a new Netflix show, but the Dirty John's story really focuses on his later years that leading up leading up to his murder. And well, yes, it's not murder, it's more like self-defense. But anyways, that's that's a little (laughs) carrot for you. But she advocates so much for women in our community who are in bad relationships. Yeah. And with advice. And then she's also now taken this platform that she was given unintentionally. She didn't seek it out. The LA Times contacted her about this and they created this podcast, which then blew up and led to all these other things. But she's taken this platform and really run with it. And like when you were talking about Kelly and the way she advocates in our community, it is so true. All that Kelly has done in advocating for nurses and really like nurse and assistant showing people really what is possible and that like you like it's okay to ask for more and that you you can have more. But Tanya has also done a really good job in our community and now across the internet taking her story of, like you said, that bad situation, that like horrible mountain that you had to climb and go through and using that to help other people. And so we'll give a shout out to Tanya as well. Totally shameless plug for Dirty John, the podcast, the series, and then now the First Wife podcast, Audible. From her perspective, totally shameless plug. Go listen to it. It is mind-blowing if you haven't. I'm definitely going to check it out. What advice do you have to give a new nurse that's starting off in her career, maybe 
maybe she wants to be a nurse anesthetist. Maybe she doesn't. She has no idea what she wants to do. What's something that you wish you would have known a little sooner? I think it's important to like explore all the avenues that nursing can take you down, even as a nurse anesthetist, like not just being the nurse anesthetist, you know, yeah. explore the roles you can have administratively, explore the roles you can have in aesthetics, explore the roles you can have teaching, explore so much more than just anesthesia and waking people up every day for a living, which is okay too. But I think it's important to know that there's so much more out there that you don't have to limit yourself or just like wait for somebody to introduce you to it. Yeah, that's good. I like that. What about you, Lacey? I should have gone first. And this is speaking now as a seasoned nurse because I graduated nursing school in 2007 and it is now 2021 and I don't even want to do that. But (laughs) I feel like naively, like I went into it and I was like, we're going to help people and we're all part of the healthcare team and it's beautiful and it's great and we're together to take care of these patients. And then like once you really start getting into it and you start to see some of the power struggles, some of the Mm -hmm. politics that's played behind the scenes and like that stuff really drains on me. I've now kind of reached a point of like acceptance of it's not ideal. It's a double-edged sword. And like you want the one, you got to take the other two. You have both edges of the sword. I didn't know that that was a factor or even really out there and not really understanding that and then being hit with it. I just kind of had to learn that like this is just a double-edged sword. And if you want the one edge, you got to take the other edge too. And so, and maybe that's not the best approach, but I feel like it's really led me to a place of peace where it's like I can advocate for myself and my career and my profession but like I recognize that there's just going to be some people who do not see the value in what I do because of the letters behind Mm -hmm. my name no that's good I think don't feel like that's a negative point I think it's truth and the truth resonates with people so that that is something that you need to know it's the it's the business part of healthcare, right Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. you kind of think it's like going to be this like unicorns and ponies and it's going to be super great and you're just everyone's going to love you and you're just, you're just gonna co- amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's just not, and there's going to be like a McDreamy and oh, you're like, no. where is McDreamy? And there's Gina all these things. Wife. So like, I think you're right. I think there are just things that you have to deal with that you're like, this is really great, but this is not so great. And that's kind of with every job. So mm-hmm. do your best to tweeze that out, find some side hustles. So you're not dependent on that stuff so that if it gets bad enough and you don't enjoy it, it's time to go do something else. Mm-hmm. And it's always exactly. good to have that perspective, right? I think that's the right way to approach that. So thank you for sharing. So the last part of the interview is the rapid fire questions. These are questions you could not prepare for oh. that are going to be just one, two answer, you quick said punch. Always the same. I'm always always prepared. We have yes. plans A, B, C, D, and E all lined up. Oh my God. Here's option F for you. All right. Cats or dogs? Oh. Cats or dogs? Dog. Dogs. Totally a dog person too. And talk or texting? Texting. texting. Text. Yeah. Yeah. And give me your favorite day of the week and why? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to say Wednesday because I feel like that's like when you go over the hump and it's downhill from there and you have the whole weekend to look forward to. Ah, good answer. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Thursday for the same reasons, but like you're just further over the hump. I'm totally reminds me of the movie where she's like, pick your favorite date. And she was oh, like, yeah. April, April 20th. 20th. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot, it's cold. Yes. I see that meme every year on that day. I love that. <laughs> Ladies, I've had way too much fun. Thank you for coming on yeah, the podcast awesome. and talking Thank with me and sharing me. your journeys. Thanks. We are at the end of our time together. I really enjoyed the chat. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave us a review if you like the show. 
I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is on Instagram, so please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and inspirational information to help you on your own journey. You could always message me at the Dr. Nurse Podcast at gmail.com with any career information or professions that you're interested in hearing about. And as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank my biggest fan supporter on Patreon, Kevin Pryor, for your support of this podcast. If you love this podcast and want to throw some support my way, I would greatly appreciate it. My link is in the show notes. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used as substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or other professional advice or services. 